Good morning. Welcome to Warehouse Church. Thank you so much, worship team, for all that you do to lead us in worship. Guys, we're having a baptism today. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're excited about this. We're excited about this opportunity. And um, listen, all the energy that you guys have been feeling all morning with the worship team, can we continue that on into the sermon, please? Like, can that be a thing? Okay, great. All right. So (laughs) we've been in this series called Anxious for Nothing for the past several weeks, and today is going to be like my last installment of this particular series. And so uh, I'm excited about this. Had a good time preaching this message this morning in our first service, but I'm excited to be with you guys during the second service as well. But uh, this series has spoken to a lot of people, okay? I've gotten more feedback on this particular series than than most any other series I've done this year. And I think that's because anxiety, as much as we hate to admit it, touches way more people than we hate to admit, right? Uh, It touches way more people than we want to admit. And so um, that's why I think it's important that we as the church talk about these kinds of things because they're affecting us regardless of whether or not we want to admit it. And so the scripture that's kind of been guiding us through this series is found in Philippians chapter 4, right? And so we've been talking about Philippians chapter 4 for the past probably five weeks. But in my opinion, the power of this scripture is found in the context. So knowing who wrote this scripture, knowing who wrote this letter, knowing who wrote this book of the Bible, knowing what this guy was going through at the time that he wrote it, really gives power to this particular, these particular words. And so many of you know this by now, but uh, the book of Philippians is actually a letter uh, written from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to the church in Philippi. Okay, so he wrote this letter uh, from Rome. As a matter of fact, Paul wanted nothing more than to go to the, the city of Rome and to preach Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Like he wanted nothing more than that. He wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. But the problem is he found himself in Rome, but not as a preacher, as a prisoner. Okay, so Paul made it to Rome But he didn't make it to Rome as a preacher. He made it to Rome as a prisoner. Some of you had a lot of big intentions, good intentions, good ideas of where you wanted to be in your life at this particular time. But unfortunately, you're not where you thought you were going to be 10 years ago, but you're exactly where God needs you to be right now. Where's the excitement? You're exactly where you need to be right now because this is where God wants you to be in this time, in this moment in this place. So Paul, he thought that he had made the wrong turn along the way, but Paul found himself in Rome as a prisoner, not a preacher. He was arrested and imprisoned. When he's penning these words that we read in Philippians, I'm getting excited already. When he's penning these words in Philippians chapter four, he is in prison, has chains on his hands at this time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, chained to a Roman guard, has no idea if he's ever going to be let free, has no idea if they're going to kill him or not, has no idea if he's even going to be fed today. If there's anyone that's ripe for anxiety, it's the Apostle Paul being chained to this Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's in that context. It's from that headspace that Paul penned these words. We started the season out like this, or this series out like this. I'm going to ask you to please stand as I read from the Word of God today. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 6. The Bible says this, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And just like your mama says, if you don't hear the first time, or you say you don't hear the first time, he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice, because I want it, I want it, want it to get home with you. I want you to understand what I'm saying. No matter if I have plenty or I have if I have not, I want to say it again, rejoice. And for me, I just don't get it. Because how can you be chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and still call out to the Lord and say rejoice? I just don't get that. Like sometimes I don't understand that. But nonetheless, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And then Paul says the Lord is near. Paul says don't be anxious about anything. But in everything... In everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God or make your request known, another translation says. Paul goes on to give us the promise, okay? And if there's anything that you want to write down or anything you want to highlight in your scripture, right here it is. And the peace of God, how many of y'all need peace today? Anybody? Anybody need peace today? And the peace of God, which transcends all. All understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise that God gave us. Right now, some of you may be trying to make a big decision in your life. Like something's going on in your life right now and you're really trying to make a big decision. Or maybe you made a big decision in your life and now you're dealing with the consequences and you're wondering if you made the right decision, right? You don't have to say amen. You don't have to raise your hand. But by the looks on your faces, I think I'm, I'm hitting home with a lot of you this morning. Those of you that I can't see online today, I believe that's probably what many of you guys are dealing with as well. The weight of that decision that you're making or the decision that you've already made is weighing so heavy on your heart that you would say today, I don't have peace of mind. And you guys know what it means to not have peace. Because when you don't have peace, you can't eat, you can't sleep, you have trouble having conversations with people that you love, you have trouble with everything that you're doing, you can't focus, you're in need of peace. That's what happens. Your mind's racing, you feel overwhelmed, you feel angst, you feel heaviness, you feel a pressure, you feel afraid. In fact, based on research, I found that one of the biggest forms of anxiety is what people would call decision-making anxiety. What do I do next? I don't want to get this wrong. I don't want to get this wrong. I don't want to be out of the will of God. I'm afraid of making an irreversible mistake. Today's sermon is all about what to do when you don't know what to do. Would you pray with me? God, hear our hearts. Hear our hearts this morning, God. Many folks that are standing right now are those that are online and are are feeling the anxiety of making a major decision in their life. They're feeling that pressure. And I pray today that through your word, as as I speak your word, or more importantly, as the Holy Spirit through me speaks your word today, I pray that the peace that transcends all understanding will fall upon our hearts and that we will have peace with you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray and everyone says, amen. Would you have a seat? Thank you so much. Guys, today um, I wonder... I wonder how many of you guys are like me. You just have a little bit of anxiety around making decisions. 
As a matter of fact, decision-making seems so complicated, doesn't it? It just seems so complicated. Should I stay at this job or should I look for a different job? Because I don't know, but these people around me have just been making me crazy lately, and I just want to go, but is it the right thing? Am I being selfish or am I not being selfish? Is this the right thing for me at this time of my life? Should I stay? Should I go? Should I do this? Should I do that? How about where to send your kids to school? Some of you have been dealing with this, like there's craziness going on at this particular school, so maybe I want to send my kid over here to this other school, or maybe I want to send my kid, maybe I want to homeschool my kids because that's the only way that I can make sure that they're not learning something I don't want them to learn, right? What are we going to do? Like all the decisions around these particular things. Should I buy this car, or should I buy that particular car? Should I go in debt, or should I not go in debt? Should I be modest and buy something that's that's smaller, but it's really not going to make, it's not going to fit all my needs, or should I be extravagant? and go into debt really far. What college should I go to? Some of you are dealing with that right now. You're dealing with what college should I go to? What should my major be? As a matter of fact, I was probably a junior in college before I ever figured out what I wanted to do with my life. And I still don't really know. But nonetheless, we often are, we just are so confused and it's so complicated. What do I do? What decision am I supposed to make? It's often so, so complicated. Guys, I've always been real with you guys. I've always shared probably too much with you, but I want to be real with you now. This has been the atmosphere that my wife and I have been living in for over a year now. This has been the truth of our lives for over a year now. Taylor, if you don't know, if you're, maybe today's your first time, you probably don't want to hear this your first day here, but Taylor and I are, are, and our family are going to be leaving uh, Warehouse Church um, in, in the next month or so. Uh, and because God, God has called us somewhere else. God has called us to a different place, and we've been talking about this for a really long time, but, but uh, probably a year ago or more, God started stirring our hearts. And when God started stirring our hearts, like I started immediately questioning. The first moment that I thought maybe this is what God was saying, I immediately started questioning. Is this the right time? I mean, I get this. Maybe this was my 10-year plan, but it's really not going to happen right now. This is, I'm struggling with this. Is this the right time? Is this the right time? Is this the right time? Is God calling us away? If God is calling us away, but where is he calling us to? Like, I don't have a good, good idea of where he's actually calling us to. But if we go to this place that we have an opportunity, are our kids going to be able to adjust well? Is it going to be safe? Are we going to be able to get to our families? How are we ever going to make it without our families, my family being so close to us? How are we going to do this? And what is it going to look like? How are we going to leave Warehouse Church and all the people that we love so much? Like, anxiety. Anxiety. Is this the right time? Is this the right place? Is this really what God is calling us to? There's this extreme anxiety that comes along with decision making. It's just so complicated. There's so many choices. The process of weighing all the options and listening for the voice of God to direct you is just exhausting. How many of you want God to open up the heavens and say, you should do this, right? Wouldn't that be so much easier? I would love it. God doesn't usually work that way. He can, absolutely can, but he doesn't usually work that way. But maybe that's where some of you guys are at right now. Like you came in this room today, nobody knows what's going on in your life. You put on a nice smile, you put on a nice facade, but at the end of the day, you are so anxious because of a decision that you're either making or a decision that you just made, praying that you made the right choice. That's what's happening in many people's lives. As a matter of fact, 
the Gen Zers, those are the, those are the folks that are in college right now or those that are in high school right now, um, many researchers are saying that this is the most stressed generation in the history of the world. If you're a teacher in this space, which is about half of you guys, okay, anyway, um, if you're a teacher, you know what I mean. You get it because you see this all the time in kids today. This is the most stressed generation in, of the history of the world. Many researchers are saying that. They call this the age of anxiety because there are so many complications in today's age. Let me give you two reasons why. The number one reason is this. We have too many choices. We have too many choices. I know this flies in the face of some of you because as in my work at Big Sandy Community and Technical College, we, our big thing was we need to give students more choices, more choices, more choices, more choices. And that was a big fad there for the longest time. But, but they call this the paradox of choices. And here's what I mean by that. We tend to think if we have more options, then it's going to make our decision easier. Now, Friday night with my family and I at home, if it's free, we don't have anything else to do. Someone says, let's have a movie night, usually my four-year-old son. And I say, okay, I'll go to Netflix and pick something out. An hour later, I'm still looking on Netflix because I haven't picked anything out. Why? Because there are millions of choices on Netflix, and I just can't figure out which one that I want to watch. Because if I choose the wrong movie, two and a half hours later, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I wish we'd watched that other movie, or we'd have watched that movie because it would have been much better. This one's not fun. The kids are not happy. They're already playing, and they're not even watching anymore. There's all these choices. That's what happens. And on the other side of that, we think if we have more choices, it makes the choice easier. On the other side of that, we just went to, to Orlando recently. We, we flew from Cincinnati to Orlando on a two-hour flight. We had a little screen in front of us that had seven, I'm sorry, 12 movie options, and I wanted to watch four of them, right? Set 12 compared to millions of movies on Netflix and I didn't have a problem at all choosing a movie when there were only seven options. They call this the paradox of, of choices. There are just an, um, there's an unlimited number of choices, unlimited number of, of decisions to make. But the limited choices actually drive us harder. It's called the paradox of choices. We live in an age with unlimited opportunities. We can go anywhere and we can do anything. And that causes us anxiety because we don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to make the wrong choice. A recent article stated that children make about 5,000 decisions a day. Can you believe that? Children today make 5,000 decisions or choices per day. The same article said that adults make around 35,000 choices per day. Can you just imagine that? Like that's, That gives me anxiety just thinking about all of those choices. Then I read another article that argued against those statistics and stated that they were inaccurate and I couldn't decide which one to believe. She got it. I heard it. I, the moment that it clicked in your head, Sarika, I heard it. All right. Anyway, the bottom line is whether there are 35,000 choices or 5,000 choices, we're making so many choices in our daily lives. This is called the paradox of choices and it only creates more anxiety. The second reason is very simple, and this one hits really close to home. The second reason is we're afraid of making costly mistakes. When we make a decision, we're afraid of making costly mistakes. We're afraid of missing out. And in spiritual terms, we don't want to miss the will of God, right? Like that's something if you're a Christian, 
my entire adult life, as I've been in ministry, I've been chasing after the will of God. Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right choice? Have I made the right decision? Is this, the, this beautiful lady that actually cares anything about me? Is she the one? Is she the one that God has chosen specifically for me? There's no doubt anymore. But anyway, uh, in the beginning, as we're first dating, you're always, if you guys are in that moment right now, maybe you're dating for the very first time, and you're thinking, is he the one? Is she the one? You're chasing after that perfect will of God because we believe that if we get the right, make the right decision, then somehow God's going to bless it. We're never going to have any problems. We're never going to have any troubles. We're never going to have any heartache because this is God's will, right? Ooh, you just got to listen up for the rest of the sermon. Anyway, so we believe, and that's been my reality for so long, chasing after God's will. We feel so much pressure to get it right. As Taylor and I were trying to discern God's will for this move coming up, um, there were so many times that I found myself in deep anxiety, feeling like if we get this wrong, my family's doomed. Like, I'm just being real with you today. That's one of our core values at this church. We, are not, we, we don't claim to be something that we're not. And so many times I found myself in deep anxiety, feeling like if we get this wrong and we choose the wrong thing, then I'm so doomed. My family is doomed. We're often, all of us are often fearful that if we make the wrong decision, that we're going to let someone down. We're going to let someone down. We even think, sometimes we even think, when we're not thinking clearly, we think if we make the wrong decision, we're going to let God down. Mm, I could preach a sermon on that one. We think sometimes that we could let God down and that we're just doomed if we make the wrong choice. We feel like that if we make the wrong turn, if we make that wrong right-hand turn, that we're out of God's will. And so what do we do? When we have a decision to make and we don't know what decision to make, oftentimes we hesitate. Amen? We procrastinate. Amen? We are indecisive. We become very indecisive. And my wife, under her breath, in the front row, is shouting amen. Because she knows that's been our reality for a year now. Today we're going to look at a very simple truth. Very simple biblical truth. Spiritual principle. I'm going to share with you a powerful story from Scripture. I'm going to build a foundation around that principle. And then I'm going to ask you very simply, listen, very simply... Don't complicate this, okay? You and I, we have a propensity to complicate everything. I'm going to ask you today, don't complicate this. Don't make this complicated. The story that I'm going to share with you is found in Acts chapter 15. And here's what's happening. Let me set the scene for you. Some leaders of the church are, you got to listen real closely for this one because I'm going to tell you a joke in a minute and I want you to laugh. And if you don't, I'm going to be hurt. Anyway, some leaders of the church have gathered together and they're talking about some very complicated issues, okay? We have Paul, Apostle Paul, Barnabas, and James. And they all came together in Jerusalem because there was some questions that were coming up from all of the different churches at the time. There were some questions that were coming back to the leadership saying, should we do this? Should we do that? Should we do this or should we do that? What is our stance on this particular issue? What's our stance on that particular issue? Really complicated questions, okay? 
In other words, they're coming together and they're, they're asking the question is, um, because this was true in the Old Testament, can we, eat, can we not still eat certain types of meat? Because Jews in the Old Testament couldn't eat particular kinds of meat. And so they all came together and they were making the, the decisions on, is it okay for us to eat this kind of meat now? And another big question that everyone had in this particular time is, if you were a Gentile, which means if you were someone that wasn't born a Jew, you're considered a Gentile, so you didn't go through all the ceremonies ceremonial uh, uh, things that happened to Jews when they were born. If you're a Gentile, would you also have to become circumcised? Thank God they chose no on that particular issue, right? No? No? Okay, never mind. Anyway, that was a little too much, wasn't it? I, I felt it from you. Anyway, here's the thing. They're trying to make these decisions. They're trying so hard to come up with the answers to these big, weighty, theological, doctrinal questions these decisions could determine someone's eternal destiny. All these big questions that they're dealing and wrestling with, these are super weighty. And I want you to watch just for a moment. I want you to watch how they arrived at their conclusions, okay? And as we read these scriptures, we're going to jump around a little bit, but as we read these scriptures, every time that you see the words seemed good, read them aloud with me, okay? I want you to help me a little bit. We're going to jump around. The first scripture is found in chapter 15, verse 22. The Bible says this. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Okay, first scripture. Second scripture is verse 25. In the middle of that scripture, it said, It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Second decision. Third decision in verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden, thank God, than these essentials. Did you see what happened there? In other words, it seemed right to simplify things and not raise the barrier to invite people to follow Christ. Thank God these men got together with the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and did what seemed right. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do if Scripture doesn't speak directly to the decision that you're trying to make? What do you do? You do what seems right, seems good, right? There's a little problem with that, though. There's a little tiny problem. In the Old Testament, there's a verse that says this. There is a way that seems right to man, but in its end... I'm sorry, but its end is the way to death. Wow, that throws a little wrench in the plans, doesn't it? If you're taking notes today, here's what I want to tell you, okay? If you're around the wrong people, listening to the wrong voices, and living for the wrong values, what seems right will often be wrong. I'm going to say that again, just like Paul. I don't think you really got it that time, so I'm going to say it again. If you're in the wrong crowd, if you're listening to the wrong people whose opinions are different from the truth of God, if you're consistently following world, worldly values instead of spiritual values, and you're surrounded with people that are not close to God, then oftentimes what seems right will actually lead to something that is incredibly wrong. Amen. There's a way that seems right to men, but in its end, it leads to death. You know what I said? When I, I just felt like God put this on my heart um, a long time ago when I first started in ministry. My big, 
my big quote was, surround yourself with people that lift you up, not people that bring you down. I think the same is true for all of us. We have to surround ourselves with people that are speaking the truth of God to us. God's truth. Okay? Here in the New Testament, we have some of the spiritual leaders that got together and they're doing what seems right. Therefore, we built the entire foundation of the church of God under the pretense of something that a bunch of men got together and did that seemed right. And you're probably asking yourselves, like, how could Paul and Barnabas and James make such weighty decisions on something that seemed right? How could they do that? Well, earlier in the scriptures, the three scriptures that you and I read earlier, we read the keys. And we just read right on by them without even noticing it. The key to making such weighty, important decisions is found in the scripture. And you and I just read over it like it wasn't anything, right? In fact, the most important portions of this scripture, of this story, we just passed on without even realizing it. We're going to take a look at the scripture again. I want you to look real closely, okay? Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. In other words, this wasn't something that seemed right to one person. This seemed right to the whole family of God that was gathering together. That's a key. Hold on to that for a minute. The second scripture is, it seemed good to us. The second part of that scripture is, having become of one mind. Having become of one mind to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. In other words, the whole church agreed. And we were unified together. And it seemed right to us. And then the last scripture. Here's the key. Check it out. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Get it. Get this. It's not just me. It's not just my best friend who wouldn't tell me the truth for anything because they're afraid of hurting my feelings. It didn't seem right to just me whenever I talked to the Lord and I just felt like I heard what God wanted me to do because I had this moment alone with God. There is a massive difference between something that seems right to one person and something that seems right to a community of faith-filled, mountain-moving, devil-kicking, spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ who have been seeking God's word and following the voice of the Holy Spirit. There's a big difference. And here I'm going to throw this to you for free. If you ever feel like or anyone ever comes to you and says, well, the Spirit told me fill it in, whatever it is that they want to tell you that the Spirit told them. And it's in contradiction to the Word of God. They're a liar. That's the the truth as much as I can say it. The Spirit's never going to instruct you on something that contradicts anything found in Scripture. Period. So, don't miss this. They were able to act on what seemed right because the whole church agreed. Like, we just hear that today, and we're like, there's, we're never going to agree on anything, right? We can't make a decision and be unified on any decision. The state of our world today will not allow it. Isn't that what you feel like? Like, we all can't agree on anything because they were of one mind. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were all of one mind? 
wouldn't it be? Because it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us. And that's why what I'm about to tell you is so important. Listen, you don't go to church. You and I, we don't go to church. Don't ever tell someone, I go to church because the church is not a building. It's never been a building. It's, a de- it's not a destination. The church has always been and always will be a people. We are the church, you and I. It's not a building to which we go. It's our identity to which we are. Church is more than a one-hour meeting on Sundays. Church is more than a, well, I'll go this weekend if I don't have to hunt or I don't have to fish or I don't have to go shopping. If I don't have to do something better, then I'll go to that place that we call the church. It's not, it's not it at all. It's not where we go. It's who we are. And if anyone's saying right now, well, I'm just looking for a church that meets my needs. That's the most selfish and unbiblical statement that I've ever heard. Why? Because the church is not a place to meet our needs. The church is who we are. We are the church and we are here to meet the needs of the world we are here to meet the needs of the world why because the world needs jesus and guess who we have jesus the church has never been set here to meet our needs that's a freebie sorry if this is your first time i love you (laughs) we'd love to have you come on in why is it so often that we feel anxious and we have anxiety It's because that we're trying to follow Christ and trying to please God outside of the context of the institution that he created to serve as his body, the body of Christ. So often we try to make decisions without the rest of the body. And it doesn't work. It just doesn't work because the body of Christ is a family. It's it's a body and we're incomplete without the other portions of the body. What do you and I do for each other as the church? What are we supposed to do for one another? When we talk about life groups or we talk about groups on Wednesday nights, I'm not saying you should come to groups just so you can check it off of your spiritual checklist for the week. Like, wow, I went to groups this week. I'm really spiritual. I've just reached the plateau for the week. I'm in good shape. That's not why I ask you to come. As a matter of fact, if that's why you come, it's probably best that you don't come. But at the the root of why we do groups It's because we're a family of people that want to share, that need to share life with one another. We need to discuss the difficult decisions that we're facing in our lives and gain encouragement and gain influence and gain direction and gain counsel from each other. Not just so other people can be in my business, but it's because as a part of the body, I'm not whole. I can't possibly make a decision in the will of God if I don't have other parts of the body helping me make that decision. We're a family. The Bible said it seemed good to us and to our whole family. This wasn't a decision that I made in isolation on my feelings, based on my feelings, this is the family of God gathering together and recognizing that we believe this is God's direction for our life. That's the difference between it seems right to a person, but in the end it will lead to death. But when it seems right to a community, we can trust God on a whole new level. When it seems right to you and to me, to our community and to the Holy Spirit, You know what? I got confidence moving forward. I got confidence that I can step out on this decision knowing that my friend's got my back. My family's got my back. The Holy Spirit's got my back. 
And if those people have my back, I can step out on confidence knowing that whether win or lose, I'm doing what God has called me to do. See, there's a confidence in that that you can't get just by going in your bedroom and making a decision that's an emotionally driven decision with no counsel from anyone else. There's just something to that. That's why we do groups. That's why we do life together. You know, Taylor and I had been feeling like God was stirring in our hearts for a while. At some point early on, um, again, I've been as transparent as I could be about this whole thing from the very beginning. At some point early on, I opened up to a couple of my trusted brothers in Christ in this church. I said, hey, this is what's going on. Uh, These are people, mentors that I've looked, uh, looked up to for a really long time. And I just said, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I feel in my heart. And I just need you to pray with us through this because the ramifications of this decision are, in my life at least, epic. And so I need you to pray with us through this. And so they did that. And they prayed with us through this process. We continue to talk to them and be counseled by them through this process. After receiving their guidance and their prayer as God was continuing to move and stir in our hearts, we approached a couple of pastor friends of mine that are not from Eastern Kentucky, but they're part of our tribe of people that care and love us and care for us and want what's best for our lives. And so I started asking them, like, you need to help us see the Holy Spirit in this. Help us know what we are supposed to do because I'm feeling anxious about this, so anxious. Help us make this decision. It was through that process with our trusted faith community that we were able to feel the call and the peace about this move. Peace that surpasses all understanding. There's no way that I could have ever made a decision like this or Taylor or even us together alone if we didn't have people around us that cared about us and helped us discern the will of God for our lives. It would have never happened. Nor did we want to. Let's take a look at this series really quick. I'm going to invite James and the crew to come up because I'm winding down in this moment. But I want you, if you weren't here with us for the first three weeks of this series, I want to take you on a little journey through it so that you can understand how we arrived at this moment. Week one, what I was talking about week one is if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about, right? Big enough to worry about, then it's big enough to pray about. Then week two... I tried to answer the question is, what is anxiety? Well, anxiety, it's a signal that's alerting us that it's time to pray. In the church, we recognize that we don't always have the power to control things. But we always have the power to surrender to God. The God that does have the power to control all things. And then last week, one of the things that I hit on that I I really hope that you took home with you is that we praise God for who he is. Not just because what he does in our lives. We praise God for who he is. And then it's a perspective of praise that changes everything. It may not take away anxiety completely, but it does change your perspective. Why do you think that when you start listening to a worship song, your entire perspective changes? Why do you think that when the devil is beating you down on Sunday morning saying, don't go to church, you're so tired, you had such a long day yesterday, they don't know what you're going through, and so they're never going to understand you, you should just lay here in the bed, you should just lay here and just soak it all in and just enjoy this Sunday. Why do you think that every time that happens and you come to church, you feel like you're different? You feel like everything is different. The scales have fallen from your eyes. Why? Because now you have a perspective of praise. When you begin to praise God, the scales 
fall from your eyes and you have a new perspective. It's a perspective of praise. It happens every single time. Every time. How do we make a decision? I'm winding down, coming home, guys. How do we make a decision? Especially a decision that feels so weighty. A decision that feels so strong and and that we don't want to make the wrong decision because if we make the wrong decision, then we feel like we're going to be out of the will of God. We're going to be so far away from where we're supposed to be. Guys, don't complicate this. Please hear me. Don't complicate this. This is very simple. You're probably going to say, Clayton, like that's so elementary. I'm not sure why you even said it. Don't complicate it. Here's the reality. How do you make a decision? With a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, we will seek God's will or seek the will of God and do what seems right. Let's say it again. With a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, we will seek God and do what seems right. It isn't me seeking God alone. It isn't me making decisions all alone and by myself. This is us seeking God together. We will seek God together and do what seems right. It's a little bit like this. How many of you guys um, use a GPS or maps or something in your car when you're driving anywhere, right? Some of you men are like, not me. I, I can, anyway, so I use a GPS everywhere I go, right? Everywhere I go and um Especially lately, Taylor and I uh, been mo- we're obviously moving to Louisville uh, sometime in November, 1st of November. And so we're excited about that. But I don't know my way around Louisville. So we've been down there trying to find you know, apartments and things like that. So we're driving around and, and all the time I've got the note on or I've got my, my, my little phone on and it's telling me this or telling me that. The GPS says, take the next right. The GPS comes on and says, take the next right. Well, Always, it seems like every single time there's an immediate right. As soon as the GPS says, take the next right, there's an immediate right. And then there's a right that's about 500 feet up there in the distance. And all of a sudden, we've got a choice to make. I'm thinking, do I take this right or do I take the next right? And I'm yelling at Taylor, Taylor, which right am I supposed to take? There's traffic over here. If I turn right right now, I'm going to cut them off. I'm going to go to the And I do every time. We take the first right because I think that's the right we're supposed to take. All of a sudden, the little GPS comes up and says, rerouting. You're in the wrong direction. You took the wrong right. You were supposed to take the next right. You took the immediate right. Now you're going in the wrong direction. I wonder, I wonder if at any point in time, Paul thought, man, I took the wrong right. I took the wrong turn. I made the wrong turn. Like I was supposed to be in Rome as a preacher, but it didn't really turn out that way, did it? I made the wrong turn. Can you imagine just in his head the Holy Spirit saying, rerouting? Can you imagine? Like for a moment, the Holy Spirit saying, rerouting. It happens all the time when Taylor and I are in the car together and I'm trying to listen to the GPS. I'm like, Taylor, tell me which way to go. Which way am I supposed to go? And then that little voice pops up and says, rerouting. And I imagine Paul was feeling that as well. But remember what he said last week? Gosh, whoo, Jesus. Remember what Paul said last week. But I want you to know that what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Maybe I took the first right turn when I should have taken the second right turn. 
But my God did something amazing that I would have never been able to experience had I went the right direction. Right? Like, that's what happens. And, and, and that's why Paul was the one who said this in Romans 8, 28. He said, he said, we know that all things work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Guess what? Hear me. It doesn't matter which direction you go. Because the end is going to be the same. Because the Holy Spirit, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you are with the family of God, and making decisions together, opening your life up to other people, to glean into your life, and to help you make decisions, and you do what seems right by your family of God and the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter which right that you take, because the destination will always be the same. Amen? I'm here to tell you today that if you're dealing with a decision that you're getting ready to make or a decision that you've already made, I want you to know that even if you take the wrong right, the Holy Spirit will come on and say, rerouting. And you're going to be going right to the same place. Because that's how good our God is. Guess what? He loves you in spite of you. He knows what's best for you. He wants you to ask Him. Sometimes we think, man, I know this is what God told me to do. And then we take that right and we are in the wrong place. Every time in my life, every single time in my life, when I've made the wrong choice, it's almost immediately the Holy Spirit's like, mm -mm, this wasn't for you. You went the wrong way. But every single time he teaches me something, Every time he teaches me something, something I put in my little spiritual tool belt. And the next time when someone comes up to me and says, should I do this? Should I do that? I'm like, ah, I did that one time. You should learn from me. I made the wrong choice. But look what God did for me as I was going in the wrong direction. Guys, one wrong turn is not going to keep you off God's path. It won't take you back to the beginning. You just may hear that voice pop up and say, rerouting. It's taking you another path. The voice of the Spirit of God is rerouting you. He's still taking you to your destination. But it may take you a little longer to get there. The good news is that our God, our amazing God, has a way of bringing good things even out of wrong terms. And so, with a posture of prayer... And a perspective of praise, we will seek God and do what seems right. Will you stand with me? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, by prayer and petition, make your requests to God. And, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you so much for this, these wonderful folks, those that are in person and those that are online. 
and their willingness to be here today in spite of the other things that they could be doing. They made the choice to be here, to follow after you. God, some folks are dealing with choices that they've made. Some folks are dealing with choices that they need to make. And I pray, God, that in all decisions that we all make, that we will seek you first. That we will seek counsel from those around us that are seeking you first. We will open up our lives to other people that can help us on this journey. And that together with counsel and seeking after you, God, we will do what seems right. Help us, God, today and always. We need the peace that transcends all understanding. Help us, God. If there's anyone among us today that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, maybe you've never made a decision for Him, I'd love to talk with you about that. I'll be in the front row. Come and grab my hand or come and sit beside of me. Let's talk about Jesus. Or maybe you're dealing with a decision in your life or maybe you've already made a decision and you want to seek after God. Come to the altar, kneel and pray, and let's reflect on what God is calling us to do. Seek Him first. All things.